passage of scripture, and in particular, verse 26. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking at uh, these four weeks about what is discipleship, but we're backing up a bit today. And uh, we're asking, starting this service, this sermon with, what gives Christian, Christianity a bad name? And somebody responded recently, bad Christians, or let's say Christians who act badly, right? And uh, so that's one of the things. Now, interesting enough, I read a little article online by Kerry Newhoff, and he said three things that Christians do that non-Christians despise. Three things that Christians do that non-Christians despise. The first one, he said, right, that they despise is they judge. Now, hear me right before we get to the list. There are times where people use Christians as an excuse for not following Jesus Christ, right? We know that. But there is some truth to some of this <clears throat> that other Christians feel that Christians, first of all, are judging Non-Christians will tell you how much they hate the way <clears throat> Christians judge other people. He said, I realized years ago that very few people get judged into change. It also occurred to me that the presence of judgment almost always guarantees the absence of love. He said, the second thing, and you've heard it before, hypocritical. Christians who say one thing and yet do another. He goes on to say, yes, sanctification is a process that never ends, and I am not who I want to be yet. I am not who God wants me to be. But I'm different. I'm changing, and Christ is at work in me. He says, I think the answer is simple. You watch what you say. Don't pretend to be something you are not. Want a quick fix to hypocrisy, he says? Accelerate your walk and humble your talk. I thought that's a good one. Accelerate your walk and humble your talk. The other thing that non-Christians will say about Christians is that they stink at friendship. Relatively few Christians actively pursue meaningful friendships with people outside of the church or people who don't share their faith. But Jesus pursued friendships with people who were different than him, whose lifestyles were far different than anything God had in mind for them or for people in relationship with him. Yet Jesus was their friend. He went to their house for dinner. They traveled together. They shared moments and meals and life. And people don't want to be your project. They want to be your friend. People will never believe you love them if they feel you don't like them. Wow. Powerful words. End quote. So we're starting this journey today uh, on discipleship, and it is, by the way, this mission statement of the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, and our statement is, the mission of the Church of the Nazarene is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. And we have been talking about this. We went through that journey of grace, which was a book about discipleship and the materials that the Church of the Nazarene, uh, particularly now uh, after COVID or during the end of COVID, uh, are sending more and more about the realization how important it is for discipleship. Many of our churches are presently 
in dire straits, right around the globe, and especially in North America. And there are things going on in the church that you've never heard of before. Uh, ways that brothers and sisters are re uh, interacting with each other, as Pastor Mike prayed, not even willing to sit down and have a conversation. COVID has brought the worst out in a lot of people. And because of that, I think the church is saying, we need to go back. <laughs> we need to go back to the realization that we need to be about discipleship. Yeah. And so they are emphasizing the importance of discipleship. And so today, as we go through this journey together of discipleship over these four weeks, I find we use a lot of Christianese in the church. We, we use a lot of language, but we all mean something different about it often. Our understanding, just because somebody says they're a Christian, doesn't mean that their understanding is what you understand. And so I feel today, before we can even move in the next three weeks about what is discipleship, we need to back up today and say, well, what is Christianity? What is a Christian? And that is what we're attempting to do today. Now, hear me right. I'm attempting to do that in the time of 25 to 30 minutes. That should be quite interesting. So this is an over, an oversight, right, of, of everything that we're trying to say here today. This is going to be hopefully biblically and doctrinally true in what I'm saying. This is what we believe. And, and so this is what a Christian is. You know, it's interesting. Webster Dictionary says a Christian is a person who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teaching. Sounds very simple. But the word is very confused in our day. Going to church, does that make you a Christian? Your parents are Christian, so therefore you are Christian. Because your parents are Jewish, therefore you are Jewish. Many say, well, my parents are Christian. Therefore, I'm Christian. Oh, I'm a good person. I try to follow the teachings of Jesus. You know, I haven't, I haven't harmed anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I'm a Christian. And for some, the term Christian is the box they tick on their status form or on some application. Interesting enough, Jonathan Whitfield was preaching to coal miners in England, and he asked one man, what do you believe? Well, I believe the same as the church. And what does the church believe? Well, the church believes the same as me. And Sandy was getting nowhere. Whitfield said, and what is that that both you both believe? And the man says, well, I suppose it's the same thing. <laughs> and often we can feel that way, can't we? And so I think it's important for us today to nail down some realities of what is a Christian. And so today, first of all, a Christian believes. That is a big part of what it means to be a Christian. We have this revelation of who we are, and then we have a revelation of who God is, in particular our Lord Jesus Christ. See, first of all, to believe means that I have a revelation of my own condition. I have a revelation of my own situation that I'm in, that I am a sinner, that I We say that we believe a sin is a violation of a known law of God. So this kind of prayer, God forgive me today if I sin, if I sin in any way, and I don't know what it is, that is not what a sin is. You know what it is. And so the reality is we come to a place that we really 
realize that we have this revelation about who we are and in humility we begin to see that we are broken, that there's something missing, that no matter how much I try to do what is right, I cannot. As Paul struggles in Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who can free me of this? And so you, you, you get to see a picture of yourself that, that in this brokenness and, and, and in this regrets and, and in this you wish that you had done better and had made changes in your life and you tried to do better and you can't, it seems like we're caught in this terrible web of sin. You need to have that revelation in order to move anywhere else in the Christian walk. And so in the midst of knowing that, we know that sin is a violation of the law of God. We, we come to a place of remorse where we realize that sin has broken the Father's heart. And so we believe in the fact that we have a new revelation of who we are. And we also have a revelation of who Christ is because it's through his suffering, the shedding of his own blood and death on the cross, which should have been my death. But he died. He paid the price for my atonement. My atonement. We call that atonement. What is the best way to explain atonement? At one man. We say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Why do we say he's the way? He is the way because he has made the way for me to be at one with God. My sins have separated me from God. I've had this revelation that I am far from God. I'm far from God's ways. And then I have a revelation of Jesus. And I realize that he is the way. He has made atonement for me to be able to return to the Father. And so we see that as we have this revelation of self and sin, we use the words in the church that I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart. And I made a conscious choice to turn to God. And that is the word we call repentance. Because repentance is that turning from where I've been, turning towards this God who has paid the wonderful price for me through his death on the cross. We also believe in the gospel. And I hear all kinds of people throw out the word gospel. It means all kinds of different things to them. And I want to say to you today, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, period. It's not about you. It's all about him. You see, back in the day, the heralds, when they were out fighting the Romans, they would call that the good news, that they're winning on the front, and that they would call that the gospel. This good news would come to the front of the war to say, hey, we're winning the battle over here, and we're winning the battle over there. And that was an actual word that was used, the gospel, the good news, the herald of good news. And the Christians began to use that term and say, let me tell you the greatest battle that's ever been won. Here's the good news. Here's the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. See, if you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came to earth to save any who would believe in him. The gospel is all about Jesus. I posted this morning, if Christ isn't Christianity, then it isn't Christianity. 
And we know and we repeat as the church triumphant, the universal church of Jesus Christ has put together the Apostles' Creed. And there is this section in the Apostles' Creed that tells us the full gospel of Christ. And why don't you read it with me if you can there. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's something there that Pastor Mike and I have been talking about recently, and I mean, there is the truth. We, we tend in, in, in this time in history, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the cross. We put a lot of emphasis on Christ dying for our sins, a lot of emphasis on him shedding his blood. And you're right, we believe that. That is so important. But if you look biblically in what was preached, and what you are called to believe in is what? The resurrection. The early church preached about the resurrection because death now has been swallowed up, and death now has no victory. And so the cross and the shedding of the blood is important. But what we're also to believe in is the resurrection. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus is king. Caesar isn't king. Jesus is king. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we see that a Christian believes... But praise God, a Christian also receives. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. A Christian is someone who receives this wonderful gift of salvation. It is a free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. It is a gracious, free gift for all. We know John 3.16. Look at John 3.16 and 17. I wish people would say verse 17 with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. When a person believes in Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian, there is an exchange. I have a message called the divine exchange. There is this exchange where our sin has been put on him and his righteousness, his righteousness has been put on us. And so we receive this righteousness of Christ. We receive this gift of salvation. Once we have confessed and believed, we are simultaneously justified, 
regenerated and adopted. Those are doctrinal truths that are important for us to nail down. And we see that justification is the legal term. I wish some believers would know that their slate has been wiped clean. Did you hear me this morning? That their slate, their rap sheet has been wiped clean. Do you realize that if you stood before a court and before a judge, this is a legal term, justification, and you're standing there and you have failed, you have done terrible, and they go and pull up the sheet and it's written down everything you've ever done and how you've messed up. And praise God, we have an advocate who intercedes on our behalf. Even now, if we sin, it's not the norm for the Christian, it means if we sin, we have an advocate. He pleads the case again. Hallelujah. But because we are now receiving this gift of salvation and we have a real picture, a revelation of who we are and a revelation of who Jesus is and we have confessed our sins and we have repented of our sins and we have received this gift of salvation, we are now justified. Say that with me. We are now justified. It's been wiped clean. And the pardon is yours. And you get to move forward now in this faith in Christ. Accusations have all been wiped clean. The enemy can't bring up your past anymore. Did you hear that? The enemy can't bring up your past anymore. So why are you listening to him? And then we are what is called regeneration. I love this word regeneration because I think about it being regened, right? It's like we've got a new spiritual DNA. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and he gives us this new DNA that we want to live a life that would honor God instead of going and walking in disobedience. Regeneration is about this new birth. When Nicodemus came to talk with Jesus one night, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then he goes down to verse 6 of chapter 3 there. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. See, this phrase that we throw around so much, I'm born again. I'm born again. What does that word born again mean? It means I'm born, the actual literal word is I'm born from above. Now, you're all sitting here today, so I know you had a physical birth. Right? The truth is, even as we've had to do funerals this week, we realize that we will have a physical, we've had a physical birth, and we will have hate to tell you this, but a physical death. That is just part of the staying of the fall. That death has come. And so we have birth and life in between and death. And yet this discussion that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, who by the way is a very religious man, and of course went to the synagogue, of course crossed his T's and dotted his I's according to the law. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, but you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born from above. Unless you've had a spiritual birth. And so the believer, the Christian, is a person who believes, but the Christian is also one who has received this spiritual new birth. 
Because that's why they say to us all throughout God's word that we will not taste death. Oh, we'll taste a physical death, but we will not taste spiritual death. Because we had a spiritual birth, and therefore we go from life to life to life. Hallelujah. But if you have not experienced this new birth, this birth from on high, unfortunately you go from death to spiritual death. Ultimate separation from God. And so we see the importance for us as believers that we have received this new birth. And I want to say a hard statement here. Every true Christian has experienced a spiritual birth. That is what we believe and that, I believe, is the truth. And so we have been justified, we have been regenerated, and praise God, we've been adopted into the family of God. All these things happen simultaneously in our lives. And I'm told that when people come to faith, there's a party going on in heaven. Uh, and the angels are rejoicing because that which is lost has been found. And they will but one day be welcomed home as we even preach Lily's message and talk about homecoming. Because we're part of the family of God. We look forward to this wonderful homecoming when we get to be with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because we're part of God's family. John, 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. People believed in prayer. They were religious. They continued to pray. Oh, God. But Jesus came and says, No, let me tell you how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven. Christ came that we can have this relationship with God the Father. And that means that if God is my Father, then I'm his beloved child. Some of us in our Christian walk need to realize that today. That I'm God's beloved. That I am his child. And then the way that we pray and the way we look to him is different because he is my father. I had this vision last night of children running to their father with a need, with a concern, with a worry. And that's ultimately what we do in prayer. That the father, like any good earthly father, is waiting for you to come with your needs and concerns. God, our Father, is waiting for us to bring our needs and concerns before his throne. And so a Christian believes, a Christian receives. But my friends, if we look at our passage today, and what we'll move into the next three weeks, a Christian obeys. We saw that in verse 26. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Although the word Christian, believe it or not, has been, as we've seen in our day, overused and abused, the word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. In the New Testament, in Acts 11, 26, later on in the book of Acts, in 26, 28, and in 1 Peter 4, 16. See, the term was actually used by the Christian's critics. It was a derogative term they thought at the time. How do we know that? The end of the word Christian is actually in Latin, and so it stands out in this passage of Scripture in Antioch, because it's saying that the Roman leaders in Antioch began to call these disciples of Christ, this derogative term they thought, Christian. 
And the amazing thing at that time is you read up about what was going on. There were the Jewish disciples and they were now the Gentile disciples and there was a division in the church. And the amazing thing is when they started to use this term Christian, it unified everybody. Christian actually means partisans of Christ. What's a partisan? Well, we hear so much of that in the States, but a partisan is a strong supporter of a party, a cause, or a person. So the term Christian means to be of the party of Christ, to belong to Christ. It means to be Christ-like. It, it means to be little Christ. That was the term. Oh, look at those little Christs all going around the city of Antioch. And Christians in Antioch spoke so much about Christ and lived Christ in such a way that it wasn't long before even their critics and the outsiders were calling them Christ's people. I like what Scott McKnight says. It indicates how Messiah soaked their beliefs and practices were. Did you hear that statement? It indicates how Messiah soaked were their beliefs and practices. How do we tell if Christ is real in our lives? The Bible says in 1 John 2, 3-4, We know that we have come to know him. How? If we obey his commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. The truth is not in him. See, it's not enough to say that we are Christian. It, it, it's, it's not enough to say that we are, have been bought by the blood of Christ. It's not enough to say, well, back at camp when I was 17, I knelt at an altar and I believed in Jesus Christ and I received his gift of salvation, but you have done nothing or little since then. You've missed the point. There needs to be overwhelming evidences in your life to carry the name Christian. And unfortunately, this is what brought, has brought so much damage to the name of Christ and Christianity in our day. People who go around using the title, but are doing things that would make people turn in their grave and our Lord himself, if he was still in the tomb. Late in his career, when the Yankees were comfortably ahead of independence, Joe DiMaggio was asked why he continued to play so hard. Joe, you can just relax. He said, because there might be somebody out there who has never seen me play. The Christian should live every day as if someone will see him who has never seen Christ or a Christian before. So this leads to the question to think about this morning. When did you become a Christian? I know my first response to that question would be at an altar in 1984. But that's not what Scott McKnight is asking in this passage. He says this about Acts 11, 26 as he quotes someone else. When did your faith become noticeable enough that people thought you were Christian? Now that's a statement. When did your faith become noticeable enough that the critics and the outsiders all around the church and in the community would say, there goes a little Christ. There goes a Christian. There goes a Christian.
There goes a person who belongs to Christ and follows him. That's kind of the question we want to look at over the next few weeks. Can people see Jesus in you? A Christian then is a person who was born again by the Spirit of God as he or she wholeheartedly trusts in Jesus and seeks with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to follow him wherever he will call in obedience. See, as we bring this to a close today, just calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. There are many mistaken notions about what constitutes a Christian. We live in that day. And unfortunately, many of us, even ourselves, have experienced what a bad example of Christianity can look like. I had a picture last night of praying for pastors. And as I prayed for pastors, I, I get that vision and I pray that a lot, the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and I, I saw pastors who are on the side of the road, broken and bleeding and suffering. And the religious walk by. Not dirtying my hands with that. And as we prayed for pastors that are in those kinds of situations, I had the picture of the Lord Jesus himself being the Good Samaritan and seeing their broken, wounded, kneeling down over them, pouring in the oil, pouring in the wine, bandaging up their wounds, and bringing them and paying the cost to bring them to a place of safety. But then the Lord reminded me that there are many people who have felt that way with the church. <coughs> Praise God, we are here today. We are worshiping the Lord today. But there are those who have been so bruised, so broken, so hurt by those who have carried the name of Christ. And they're on the side of the road. And the religious just tend to walk by. But I give God the praise as I prayed last night. There is one who doesn't walk by. Amen. There is one who kneels down and binds up our broken wounds. And wants to bring all of us to a safe place of healing. Pray for those that have been hurt by the church in the past. Those who have been hurt by people who have called themselves Christians. Do you know there's a great many people that probably would be sitting in the pew today. There are a lot of pastor's kids that would be worshiping the Lord today if they were not so broken and hurt by what they see in the church. It's a hard statement, but it's the truth. While Mahatma Gandhi was practicing Hindu, Christianity intrigued him in his reading of the Gospels. Gandhi was impressed by Jesus, whom Christians worshipped and followed. And he wanted to know more about this Jesus that Christians referred to as the Christ, the Messiah. And one day, one morning, Gandhi decided he would go to visit a Christian church there in India, in Calcutta. But upon seeking entrance of the church sanctuary, he was stopped at the door by the ushers. He was told he was not welcome there. Nor would he be permitted to attend this particular church as it was for high caste Indians only and whites only. 
He was neither high caste nor was he white. And with this act, Gandhi rejected the Christian faith. I cannot help but think in history what would have happened in India in that moment. All of history could have been changed. And the souls that have been lost because of that one decision. It was due to this experience that Gandhi later declared, and I quote him, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. Sad statement. I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. Don't ask the worship team to come. You see, a person cannot be made a Christian by the church, by your grandparents or your parents, or by trying to live right on your own strength, or concluding that you just say, well, that's the faith that I tend to adhere to as Christian. But as stated today, a Christian is a person who has had a revelation of themselves and who have had a revelation of who Jesus is. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus entered into this brokenness of our world, lived a sinless life on our behalf, and then died the death that we deserve. He rose from the dead, and he is Lord and King of all today. And all who believe in Christ have their sins forgiven and are given that atonement, that righteousness of Here's some hard questions this morning. I believe there are questions here that can affect all of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey. And I want you to bow your heads as I ask these questions. And allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Have you had a revelation of who you are? That you are a sinner separated from God? Have you come to a place where you've been willing to admit, confess, and repent of your sin? Have you humbly admitted that you are lost and that you need a Savior? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know today that except that God loves you so much that He gave you such a wonderful gift his only begotten Son. Do you know the joy today that you've been justified and the past has been wiped clean? Have you experienced a spiritual new birth and you are regenerated? Do you realize today that you are an adopted child of God and when you call God Father, He is indeed your and here's a hard question. Are you known in the West Prince community as a follower of Christ, a Christian, because of your obedience to the ways, to his ways and commands? Is Jesus your Lord and King? I think we should probably just go back to our song in the hymnal. I believe it was 560. As we sing this hymn again, our PowerPoint for uh, Easy Worship is working today. Remain in your seat. No need to stand. I, I want to encourage you today to be obedient. 
thinking of those even online today listening to this or even listening to this recorded. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, we would love to pray with you. I'm going to ask you today, if something the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, and all of that, because there's a lot of requests there at the end of all those questions. It can speak to us who have called ourselves Christians for years. That there are things in our lives that we need to give to the Holy Spirit. There are things we need to nail down. There are things that we need to believe or things that we need to know. Or the way that we obey His commands. I'm going to ask you to come and just come down at the end of the aisle there. And Pastor Mike and I will pray with you. It won't be seen on the screen. Only up here is seen on the screen. And as we sing the song, we would love to pray with you today. As we take this journey together in discipleship over the next four weeks. That's it.